Good morning. My name is Dan. Um, you may not recognize me without a guitar in front of me. So I'm, I'm the guy who usually sings on Sundays. Um, yeah, so you probably don't know much about me other than what you've heard on Sundays, me singing and playing that rock music. So uh, let me introduce myself a bit to you. Um, I'll start at the very beginning. This is me in uh, 1985, roughly six months old. And I was a, I was a chunker, definitely. And uh, you can see my parents, in their weird sense of humor, entitled this part of my life the Churchill phase. And I'm the one on the left. I aspire to get more like the guy on the right. It's pretty cool. Um, I grew up a little bit more. Go to the next slide. Here I am. And I can tell you the, the one thing that's on my brain right now in this picture is dinosaurs. I was obsessed with dinosaurs. It was my favorite thing in the whole world. I studied dinosaurs. When I was in preschool, I got a special diploma talking about how I was a dinosaur expert. My aspiration in life was to be a paleontologist. I could quote you all sorts of facts about stegosaurs and, uh, you know, Deinonychus and the, the slashing claws, velociraptors. And I didn't really like Jurassic Park when it came out because it was, you know, grossly inaccurate. So I, this, is, this is what I thought about all the time. But um, I, I started growing up, and, and dinosaurs kind of faded away, and I, I started liking different things, things that meant a little bit more to me. Um, things, like, uh, things like literature, things like nature, things like music, music especially. Um, it, it was just like one of those things where, for some reason... More than words could describe, more than, more than I could understand. It was like there was a straight shot to my heart, like an open window to my soul when I heard music. And it was like I understood that. I understood that more than um, other things. For example, like, who likes uh, like motorcycles, be it a, a hog or a crotch rocket or something? Anybody into motorcycles or roller coasters, things of this nature? I hate those things. <laughs> I just don't. I don't care about them at all. Uh, it's not that I'm, I'm, I'm against them. I just, I don't enjoy them. They don't do it for me. But music does it for me. Or walking around in nature does it for me. It's, it's something that's special. And, uh, you know, that's, that's different for all of us. We're all unique. We're all uniquely made. And so there are, there are things that apply specially to us that are, you know, just like I said, like, like open windows to our soul. But I think it's it's more than just that. I think it's more than just uh, more than just us experiencing something that we like, or more than just us, um, I don't know, enjoying something. It's more than that. Um, we're we're kicking off this four week series right now, and it's entitled "Can You See Him?" And uh, we're spending the next four weeks answering that. But my short answer is yes, yes, we can see him. And my long answer and the title of my sermon is everywhere in everything um i think that those things that are really special to us and and for me just example music or literature or nature those are the ways that i see god and i think that it's more than just uh you know us enjoying something like i said it's something more than that i think that those things are evidence little glimmers into god's glory here on earth so let me uh let me start off with a scripture because that's that's the thing to do when you when you preach a sermon. So uh, turn with me, if you will, 
to Isaiah 6, chapter 3, and we'll read this together. And just a little reading note here, allow me to uh, go off on a tangent. Uh, You'll see coming up in this text, there's there's the word LORD in all caps, and that is a a rewritten version of the word Yahweh, which is understood in Hebrew culture to be the personal name of God, the, the very personal name, the I am that, that I am, or I will bring to pass that which I will bring to pass. So um, when I read this, I'm going to read instead of the Lord, I'm going to read Yahweh, which is understood as God's personal name. So let's read this together. Isaiah 6, 3. And they were calling to one another, Holy, 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 is Yahweh Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. The whole earth is full of His glory. Now, the, uh, the ancient Israelites, I think, had a much more holistic view of the earth and God and their relationship than we do in our current Western culture, um, even our Western church culture that's developed. I think it's... Uh, we tend to compartmentalize, you know, or we, we categorize things, or we see God here, but not here. And we see him here, but not here. But I think to at least the audience that, that uh, was receiving this word, or the writer who wrote this, it was a much more holistic view. And so he meant it when he said, the whole earth is full of his glory. Um, unfortunately, another thing that's kind of lost is, is the power of that word, glory. Um, in our culture, glory is almost like a throwaway word, right? Like, you know, you talk about athletes and, and what they're experiencing and they, they attain glory. What does glory mean, you know? It, we've, we've meant so many different things with the word glory that it, it kind of means less and less the more we use it right now. And it's also a really comfortable word to use in church culture. It's something that, you know, we can just say, oh, the glory. What does that mean? Uh, so let's talk about what this meant to this audience, because this is what I want to delve into. Uh, allow me to wax a little eloquent on a little word study, if you don't mind, a little Hebrew. So the word that's used here for glory is kavod. Kavod is a Hebrew word that comes from another Hebrew word, kaved, which is an adjective meaning heavy. So kavod comes from the word heavy, and it specifically means glory, but it's a special kind of glory. They mean something more by it, a, a heaviness, a weight, a significance, almost as if it's a physical manifestation of the Spirit. So it's, it's weighty, it's powerful. If it was here, you would notice it, you would, you would experience it. It's not something that would just pass by and you wouldn't have any idea it happened. It's, it's, it's powerful. This is what they were talking about. The whole earth is full of Yahweh's kavod. The whole earth is full of God's heaviness, his presence, the manifestation of his spirit. So this is what the the Hebrews were talking about when they said this. And this is something that came up a lot. Um, This word is used a lot and and in some really powerful places. Let me me turn you to another text. Um, Let's go to Exodus 33. And just go ahead and turn with me if you like. Exodus 33, 18. So this is, you know, Israelites did this. I don't need that one up yet, Jim. Don't worry about it. Um, So 
the Israelites, you know, they're doing the circus of obedience, disobedience at Mount Sinai. And they're go, Moses is going up the mountain. He's coming down the mountain. Moses and all the elders are going up the mountain and having a meal with Yahweh. And then they're going down. And there's the golden calf. And everything is just going back and forth. And so in 33, 18, just before this, uh, Moses asks something really, uh, really astounding. He says, let me see your glory. Let me see your kavod. Let me see your heaviness, your, your weight, your presence. Let me see this. And, and God says, uh, you, you couldn't do this. Uh, he, he says, and the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name, Yahweh, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But, he said, you cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. Then Yahweh said, there is a place near me where you may stand on a rock. When my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft in the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will remove my hand and you will see my back, but my face must not be seen. In other words, this kavod, this, this weight, this heaviness, is life-threatening to Moses. It's too much. We can't, as humans, withstand it. It's too heavy. It's too much. It's, 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 it's dangerous. And so God says, you can't see it. But I'll tell you what, I'll hide you in a rock, and then I'll cover you, and then I'll go by, and then my glory will follow me, and as that passes, you can... You can look at just the backside of the glory as it passes. Yeah, like You can see the end of the tail of the comet that's the glory that follows me. That's all he could withstand. And even that, I mean, think about when, when Moses came down from the mountain and everyone exclaimed, like, what happened to you? Because his face was radiant, noticeably different. Uh, that's the kind of glory that we're talking about. So put that in context with what we were just talking about in Isaiah 6.3. Holy, holy, holy is Yahweh Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory, his kavod, this life-threatening, transformative kind of glory, this thing that Moses couldn't even experience in full. According to the Hebrews, the earth is soaked in that. It's everywhere. It's enriching everything. There's no way to escape it. I mean, think about what, think about what David writes later in the Psalms. Where can I flee from your spirit? Where can I go from your presence? Everywhere I go, you're there. And this is the same idea. So this is, this is something common in the understanding of this audience, that the presence of God is everywhere, in everything. So I think about that in my daily life, and I don't see people getting healed every day. I don't see people's lives being drastically, dramatically changed every day. I'm not hearing the audible voice of God. I mean, if anybody heard the audible voice of God in the halls today, let me know. I'd love to hear about it. But it's just not something that happens often. You know what I mean? Like, it's, it's, not, it's not in our everyday experience. So, are we missing it? I would say that the issue is not whether or not uh, God's glory is here. Because at least if we, be- if we believe what's written in here, then... <clears throat> then we have to say the whole earth is full of his glory. I think the issue is whether or not we're actually seeing it, whether or not maybe we're searching for it. So 
I just want to hearken back to what I was talking about with music for me. And this is just for me. I, you know, everybody's different, and so there are other things for you. But for me, it's like there's a, there's a, a window to my soul, an opening when I hear music, and it just goes straight in. And it's more than just a nice thing, you know? I think it's, it's almost like a glimmer of that glory, that, that trail of God's presence that's here on the earth. So it's, I, I don't think that it's that God's glory isn't here, because I think that God's glory is soaking this place. I think we just need to learn how to look for it. Think about what uh, think about what Jacob said. So Jacob is uh, yeah. Jacob is uh, Jacob's walking, and he's just he's going on on a on a journey. He sleeps on a field. And it's just a regular place. Nothing special about this place. And then God appears to him in a dream. And it changes Jacob's life direction. And look at what Jacob says afterwards. This is his reaction. Surely Yahweh was in this place. And I was not aware of it. That kind of sounds like what we might experience often in our daily life, huh? Because Jacob was just living his normal life going about his business, nothing too special, some special things, but nothing nothing where he, you know, seeking the glory of God or anything. He just thought it was a place. It was a regular place. And then after one night, after one dream, it was a sacred place. That's a big change in just one night. And this is his reaction. Surely Yahweh was in this place. I was not aware of it. I think often we are not aware of God's glory in this place. It's easy to miss because we don't look for it. You know, which is kind of weird because, you know, sometimes you hear people talking about, oh, and we really want God to show up or we really want his spirit to fall on this place or something like that. But that's not the case. I mean, God's spirit is here. His glory is here. His presence is here. We need to get a little better at recognizing it, I think. So maybe it's in those things where you really connect strongly. Maybe in that in that favorite song of yours or in that favorite activity or that cup of coffee with a friend where you realize there's something more going on there, something deeper, maybe we can start taking those moments and recognizing that there's something more there. Um, let me give a personal example, because that, that always makes a little more sense. So in 2005, I was on a, I was on a trip with a band through North Central University, and we spent six months traveling together, and... Uh, it was really intense. For the first few months, we would go and do a youth camp or a convention or something each week. And then the weekend, we would play at a church. And we just kept playing. And it was services all the time. And then it got even more intense in the fall when we would go around and we would uh, we'd go to public schools and do four or five presentations a day of like a positive message kind of a thing, like make the right choices and, and you'll see good results and, and be good to one another. If you really want to hear what we're all about, come back tonight. And then that evening, we would give a gospel presentation to however many youth showed up, anywhere from, you know, like 50 to like seven or 800. And so it was really intense because we were seeing God's glory all around. We were seeing people's lives change. We were seeing all this stuff happen. Um, but that was more in a corporate setting. You know, the band members and I, we were experiencing this. So around that time, it's getting close to Thanksgiving, and I decide I should probably figure out what I'm doing 
for uh, Thanksgiving. Should I travel home? When should I travel home? Because my, my family might have plans. So I call home. We're at this we're at this church. We're about to play an evening service, probably about a half hour away from playing this evening service. And I call home, and my dad answers. We're talking. He's like, hey, how's everything going? How's the tour? It's, it's getting long. I'm kind of sick of it, but it's great. We're seeing all these amazing things happen. Uh, what about Thanksgiving? What are you guys doing? And so we talk about Thanksgiving plans for a while. And then there was this awkward silence, and my dad said, I don't know how to tell you this. Um, and I'm like, okay, what's going on? He's like, I have cancer. And all of a sudden, all of these great things that I've been seeing just kind of disappeared, and I felt like I was all alone, totally isolated from everything. And my dad says, I have cancer. And nothing makes sense to me right now. I'm like, what, what do you mean? He's like, I have, I have cancer. We don't know much about it, but I know I have cancer. We're figuring out more. And I'm just like, I'm furious because we just spent, you know, about five, seven minutes talking about Thanksgiving plans, and he waited until now to bring this up. Like, oh, come on, Dad. But, uh, you know, we're talking about this, and nothing made sense. And I remember, I remember walking out of that place about a half hour from when I was supposed to lead the service and just thinking, like, what are you doing, God? What the heck? This doesn't make sense. I was seeing you all over the place, and now I don't even know if you're there. I don't even know if this makes sense. I don't even know if I can, in good conscience, go and lead these songs. I don't know if this, I don't know if this adds up. I don't know if I can honor you appropriately, because it's kind of hard to trust you right now. And, and I, I kind of finished the whole tour like that. It was really, it was really tough, and that went into a, a winter that was probably some of the darkest times in my life that I've known so far, where I just felt so alone. And I would talk about this, but it was just hanging over me, my dad's cancer. And we found out more about it. It was uh, mantle cell lymphoma, which is a kind of non-Hodgkin's lymphoma that is both terminal and incurable, really heavy. And, and our family was struggling. I mean, we were confused. We, we would talk to one another, but it didn't really make sense. You know, and so I'm just walking, and, and people are like, how are you doing? I'm like, fine, because I don't want to talk about it anymore. You know, when, when something bad happens, and everyone feels bad for you, and they all want to talk to you about it, that equals like 50 conversations every day about the very thing that you don't want to talk about, you know? So people are very well-meaning, but it just it kind of backfires. So... I'm just, I keep saying, yeah, I'm fine. We're, we're doing okay. We're waiting on the actual diagnosis or, you know, there's some good treatments in place. And the whole while I'm thinking, God, where are you? I feel like you just left me alone on a rock somewhere. And so I'm walking through the halls and one of my professors walks by me and he's like, hey, how are you doing? And I decided to be honest instead of, hey, pretty good. And then seeing, see you later. So I was like, man, I'm struggling. Life is really tough right now. I've got this going on and this going on. So, I mean, not meaning to dump all of this on you, but I just want to be honest. And he said something that totally changed my perspective. He said, he looked at me and he was really honest. He said, I think that God put us together right here, right now for a sacred purpose. And so he decided to take me in and mentor me for the next three or four months out of his own time, not anything that dealt with any of his classes or anything, for the next three or four months, once a week, we'd meet together for an hour, and we would just talk. He said, it's okay to talk about whatever. And, and the more I talked, the more my perspective started to change. It went from, God, where are you? What's going on? To, and he helped me a lot with this. 
God, I see you. I, I think you're all over. And I started seeing God in the mentorship that was happening, where it was one brother helping another brother through a really tough time. I started seeing it in my family where we would talk about things. And it's not like we talked about anything that was different, but suddenly there was something more there. There was more weight behind it. And I, I saw that it's not just us struggling through something, but it's, it's something more. I started seeing it in my friends as they, you know, were saying the same things like, I'm praying for you. All of a sudden that meant more because it's not just something that you say, but you're engaging with the divine, you're engaging with the holy. And I started listening to some music that... Uh, that my, my friend, my professor, recommended to me. And it was not Christian music. It was, it was a song by a group called Third Eye Blind, and it was a song uh, all about a bad breakup. So not even, like, not even God-honoring, but the lyric was, and there's this burning like there's always been. I've never been so alone, but I've never been so alive. And I, I remember that made sense. You know, to, to use churchy language that resonated with me or that connected with me. And, and it made sense. And it wasn't a Christian song. It wasn't anything that, uh, it didn't say Jesus in there anywhere. It didn't talk about the Holy Spirit. But it brought me so much closer to God than any devotional that I read then had done. It brought me closer to God than any worship song that I had experienced had done. And this is just, again, talking about me and my connection with music. It drew me right in. It made sense. And I connected with God through that. So it was a really tough time. But it totally transformed my perspective from, God, where are you? To, God, I see you. I see you everywhere in everything. Suddenly I was looking for his glory. And even though you know life was still really tough and it didn't make sense, it was a lot more powerful. I think that uh, it's easy to just let those things go by, too, because uh, church culture doesn't always approve of it. You know, there's, there's the idea that we should only read devotionals or we should only read the Bible, which is great. We should read those things. Or we should only listen to KTIS, which is good. You should probably listen to KTIS. There's some good stuff out there. But there's a lot of other good stuff, too. And I'm not... I'm not sanctioning listening to bad things. I'm not saying go read the Quran or something so that you can convert or whatever. But I'm saying that there's a saying that says all truth is God's truth. And that's true. All truth is God's truth. It, think about the verse um, when Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So... That's another phrase that we, uh, we easily throw around in church language, you know? That's something that we know. Maybe it doesn't mean too much, though. But it's something that we know. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. So if Jesus is the truth, then when we experience truth, even if it's outside of these walls, when we experience truth, it's pointing us to Jesus. Jesus is truth. So when we experience truth, it points us directly to him. So... It's actually like a really freeing thought, right? Instead of trying to whittle down life experience into the, uh, the Christian subculture or something like this, instead of trying to whittle down what we, what we have into what we should be working within, you know, instead of trying to fit what we experience in life into what we think should happen in these four walls, 
it frees us. When we experience truth, we're experiencing God's truth. And, and we get to look for God in more places. I'm not saying that we're looking at, you know, things that are wrong. But whenever we find something that points us to God, it induces worship. Um, a, a pastor in Michigan and pretty uh, popular writer about five years ago or so, his name is Rob Bell, and he wrote this book called Velvet Elvis. I wouldn't, I wouldn't recommend basing your theology on this at all or any of your doctrine, but it's a good conversation to have, maybe in your own head or with somebody else. There are really good thoughts in here. Again, I wouldn't base your theology on it, but it's, it's something to think about. And he writes something in here that uh, is pretty great. It's, we can get it up on the screen, too. Uh, Bell says, As a Christian, I am free to claim the good, the true, the holy, wherever and whenever I find it. I live with the understanding that truth is bigger than any religion, and the world is God's and everything in it. Again, that's from Bell's Velvet Elvis. The world is God's and everything in it. And Jesus is truth. And so when we experience truth, it points us towards him. And the whole earth is soaked in the presence of God. It's all full of Yahweh's kavod. And so when we experience these things, we get glimmers into his glory here on earth. We get more than just something nice. Or I had a really good talk with my friend over coffee. Or that is my favorite thing to do in the whole world. Or that hurts so bad and no one understands it. It's way more than that. It's an opportunity to connect with and an opportunity to experience the glory of God here on earth. More than just, you know, sending up prayers to heaven and hoping they don't bounce off the ceiling. It's something where we get to actually engage with the divine, with the sacred here on earth. But this, this is the point where, because I like to think about things a lot and I like to read a lot of theology and philosophy and stuff. I always come to this point. So what? You know, like, People talk about this stuff all the time, and it's great to have opinions, but so what? Does it get you anywhere? Does it do anything? Um, you know, if we're just living with, uh, you know, all these things that we love to do, and, yeah, that we're, there are places where we can see God's glory, that doesn't really do anything but leave us with a nice, warm, fuzzy feeling, and that's not good enough. You know what I mean? Like, it's great to know that God is in this place, but if you walk into this place and you don't experience God or you don't engage with God in this place, and then you walk out, then you're just feeling good. I mean, that's, that's nice. But I think Jesus calls us to a higher standard than that. So, you know, Jesus did that all the time. Anything that he said that seemed like a change in theology from Old Testament, he was always just ratcheting, ratcheting it up. He was always raising the bar and making it that much more. So... If you can, turn with me to Mark 12. Let me, let me demonstrate what I mean by it's more than just warm fuzzies. It's got to be more than just warm fuzzies. Mark 12, and, and fast forward to about, you know, uh, verse 14. And this is a well-known verse, right? It's about finances. I don't think so. Let's check it out, because I think it's much more, and it's way cooler than most people think. So this is when the, the chief priests are getting really scared about Jesus, and they're trying to, you know, how can we get rid of this guy? How can we trick him? So in 14, they say, you know, they, they came to him and said, Teacher, we know you are a man of integrity. 
you aren't swayed by men because you pay no attention to who they are, but you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. So they're really buttering him up, you know, setting this up really nicely. Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay or shouldn't we? That's a good question. And here's his answer. Why are you trying to trap me? He said, bring me a denarius and let me look at it. They brought the coin and he asked them, whose portrait is this and whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. Then Jesus said to them, give to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. And they were amazed at him. Which always seemed kind of weird to me because that makes pretty good sense. And if these people are the, the theological heads of the time, the chief priests, I wouldn't think that they'd be too amazed at this. It makes good sense, right? Like, pay your taxes and, and you know, do your, uh, do your state stuff the right way. Don't get in trouble. But then you're free to worship however you choose to. So don't let the man get you down, you know. Just praise God. You know, stay out of trouble, but worship God. I don't think that's what he's saying at all because that doesn't amaze me. So I want to point you back to think about Genesis, the beginning. And God said... You know, he creates everything, and then he creates, he's about to create mankind. And he says, let us create man in our own image. I think that's the crux of this whole passage. So, Jesus says, and this changes everything in this passage. Jesus says, whose image is on this coin? It's Caesar's. And then what he doesn't say, but what I think he implies is, whose whose image is on us? So, Render unto Caesar what is Caesar's. Right. That's the easy part. Render unto God what is God's. We bear his image. Just like that coin has the picture of Caesar on it, we bear the image of God. We're created in his image. And so we're called to render ourselves completely, totally to God. It's much more than just, yeah, you're free to worship. No, we're called to a higher standard. We're called to worship. And as as creatures who bear the image of God, we know where to direct that worship. So let me, let me go back to my story earlier, because there's another part of it which hopefully serves as a cautionary tale and, and an encouragement to you. During that time when I was being mentored and, you know, tough, tough times were all around and I was looking for God, people kept talking about, you know, you've got this warrior spirit, and people kept saying that to me, you know, words from God, and I I was like, that's great. I don't know what that means, though. And so finally people said it enough that I was like, all right, God, if if people are using this language, I'm going to use this language. If you want to point me in a direction, point me in a direction, but I don't know what to do. And I specifically remember writing in my journal, God, if I'm supposed to be a warrior or I have a warrior spirit, where is my sword? I remember that clearly. And then I remember a week later at a chapel service, after prayer and fasting at this chapel service, somebody came up to me, someone who I knew, like we were acquainted, but uh, we didn't really talk about anything. And also, I never told anything, anybody about what I wrote in my journal. It was a really private place for me. So this, this girl hands me this note and says, Hey, Dan, I know you, I know you love God and... Uh, well, I don't know. I just feel like God really wanted me to give you this message. And I wrote it down like a letter from him. I just, I don't know. Maybe maybe it works for you. Maybe it doesn't. But I just felt like I should do this. It's like, wow, all right, I'll read this. And this is what it said. Dan, God has given you a sword. 
Pick up your, not anyone else's, weapon of warfare. Now is the time. Now is the time to battle. I need you for my kingdom. You already know that the war is not against the carnal. You war against demonic spirits. No longer ask of me, where is my sword? Instead, rally the troops. Rally the men to battle. Warrior spirit arise. I've called you. I need you. Your lover, your savior, the God of war. So that kind of messed me up a little bit. That didn't make any sense to me at all. I was like, who got a hold of my journal? That was really, really intense. And, and I was so struck with God's presence, God's glory, the, the, the glimmer that I saw of God's glory in this place. And it was so powerful. You know, like sometimes you have to, like I was saying, you have to search for God's glory. This was like, it just hit me on the head. It was just dead on. And the very same language I was using, God shot back at me. Or she made a really, really, really good guess. One of the two. But here's the thing. I, I tucked that away in a little folder inside this notebook. And I was like, man, i got to figure out what to do. I want to do this right. got to figure out what to do. I've got to do this right. And then six months later, this piece of paper was still in the folder. And I was thinking, God, what can I do? And this is really amazing, but what do I do with this? And then a year later, it's still there. Two years later, it's still there. This happened five years ago. And this piece of paper is still in my notebook, and I, I have no fruit to show for this. I, I didn't do anything with it. I, I, did not, I did not rally anybody together actively. Maybe I did accidentally, but I didn't try to. I, I just treated this like a really amazing example of God's presence here on earth, and it became nothing more than an artifact and a cool story. Not to say that God can't still use it, but look at how easy that is. It was amazing. It was amazing. It was God's glory here on earth. I saw it. It, it was personal to me. It made sense. It was true. And it, it connected deeply. And it stayed there. It was nothing more than an artifact. And that's just sad. That's not what we're called to do. We're called to render ourselves completely over to God. It's got to be more than just artifacts or, you know, sightings of God's glory. It's got to be more than that. Otherwise, we're missing where it's at. So... Hopefully that serves as a cautionary tale. When you experience God's glory, when you see him working, engage in that. It's got to be more. Like, for me, when I hear my favorite songs, I've got to enjoy those as much as I can. They've got to mean more than just a song. Or if I'm having the best time in my life, I do that, and I engage that so I can worship God through it, so I can see him more clearly, and so I can build his kingdom here. Or when you, when you see a sunset or a sunrise, and it's so strikingly beautiful, and you're just amazed by it, that's great if it just stays there, but that's not enough. Worship God through it, and build his kingdom here. Or when you see somebody who needs a lot of help, or is really struggling, it's nice to walk by and pray for them, or think, oh, they really need some help. I'm a Christian, I should help them. That's great, but that doesn't do anything. Engage in that. Worship God through that service, and build his kingdom here. Or when you walk into this place and we're singing songs, there are a lot of songs that we sing that aren't my personal favorites. Secret, don't share that around. Uh, worship God through it. Because it's not about us. If we're, pointing, if, we're, if we're pointing all the attention to us, then we're totally missing it. We have to point the attention away from us. We need to engage and worship God. That's where the point is. 
So do that when you see truth. Or when there's a worship song and we're celebrating as a community, corporately, worship God through it and build his kingdom here. Because we're called to do that. It's more than just seeing nice things. Otherwise, all these nice things just turn into artifacts. Really cool stories, but nothing more. There's got to be more than that. So be a blessing to others. Worship God. Look for him wherever you can. Because it's not, can you see him? Yeah, you can see him. He's everywhere. Everywhere. In everything. He's all over the place. We just need to delve into it more deeply. We need to recognize, search for his spirit, and embrace it when we see it. Because that's where we're called to be. Experiencing those things and then turning them into worship to God to build his kingdom here on earth. Pray with me. God, thank you so much for who you are and that you are powerful, that you are good to us, and that you are not distant, but rather you leave traces of yourself all over. And we believe that we believe that you're all over the place, but yet we we don't often see you. So I guess just open our eyes to see you a little more clearly. Help us to see where you are, who you are, because According to scriptures, that's life-threatening and life-changing. And, and we want to we experience your dangerous presence and, and who you are. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Go worship God and build his kingdom on earth.